You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you've had a wonderful week so far, and you went and saw Infinity War and didn't get it spoiled and had a great time. Um, So today we've got a great episode. Todd Gilchrist is here. Todd has been a friend of mine for several years now. Um, He has been a a journalist and a correspondent for for many different outlets um, and is currently the senior editor for movie bill and a member of the los angeles film critics association he's also a very passionate musician and dj uh and music fan um todd would you call yourself a musician i don't know maybe you would but he's definitely a dj and he loves music and he knows all cool things about shoes and and fashion and movies and music and i always am never feel cool enough to be around todd or his fabulous fiance. Anyway, um, Todd is a sweet friend. I love talking movies with him. And he picked The Last Picture Show. Um, The Last Picture Show is a movie that I think all film fans, or especially American film fans, know about and have heard about, but maybe haven't seen. Like, I know for me, I had seen clips of The Last Picture Show in various movie uh, retrospective and cinema retrospectives um, and uh, and had an idea about what the movie was. And then when I finally watched it, realized that the movie I thought it was was totally not the movie that it was. Um, and it was directed by Peter Bogdanovich and has an incredible cast, including Jeff Bridges and Sybil Shepard um, and Ellen Burstyn and Cloris Leachman. I mean, it's, 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 uh, and Timothy uh, Busfield. No, Timothy Bottoms, Timothy Bottoms. One of my, Timothy Busfield is also very talented, but not not in this movie. Anyway, um, it was a great talk with Todd. You know, you'll hear both Todd and I um, grew up at least for a portion of our lives in the South, in the American South. And um, even though neither of us grew up in Texas, we we absolutely sort of identify and recognize some of these themes and and some of the storylines that that honestly still feel very contemporary in a lot of ways. Um, and, and a lot of the, the issues that are being discussed in this movie, I think a version of them are still being discussed, um, in, in, in America right now. Um, and, and, you know, this is also a coming of age film. Um, it's a little different than the coming of age, you know, story that, that, and conversation that Joseph Scrimshaw and I had when we talked about American Graffiti, but I, it comes up in this conversation the same way that Last Picture Show came up in my conversation with Joseph. But, you know, I think these are two movies that, that honestly go hand in hand. And, and coincidentally, I was able to watch them back to back for the purposes of the show, but I'm really glad that I did. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's a great episode. I hope you enjoy. 
Just a reminder that Sending the Wolf is going to be doing a live episode in Atlanta, Georgia in June um, as part of the Terminus Conference. And um, if you are curious about the Terminus Conference, uh, it is for film and television and game and just entertainment lovers in general, people who work in the business, people who who are fans of the business and everything in between. You can go to TerminusEvent.com and enter Sending the Wolf, S-E-N-D-I-N-G, the Wolf, and Wolf is with an E, one word, all lowercase, uh, if you are buying a badge, an all-access badge, and you get 30% off, so that's great. And you also get to see the live show. Um, we are getting really close to locking in a guest, so I think it's going to be really fun. Um, so yeah, that is it for right now. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you get a minute, please subscribe and rate and review the podcast, and uh, that really helps me and helps the show grow. And without further ado, here is Todd Gilchrist talking about The Last Picture Show. <laughs> anything doesn't it just just know you're being recorded okay. is what that means all right i'll keep that in mind um and uh well you were saying you're you said you're you just now that your mom was in town are you from charlotte with your, yeah 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 your, uh yeah, oh, yeah, hornets. yeah yeah originally well i was gonna the reason i i even ask is because when i was watching the movie i was like uh i was like is Todd from that he <laughs> that he that he likes this movie or maybe he doesn't like it mm -hmm. or maybe he loves it but like yeah. I, it just uh it felt and I because I'm from Atlanta mm -hmm. and so it felt like oh this is a very particular kind of story that I you know what I mean for sure for sure I mean you know I don't know how much do we just get right into sure, it or? okay sure. I mean like I we don't have to talk about the movie right now but I just in terms of where you're from I was like oh you must be southern you must be southern yeah yeah I I mean I'm originally from North Carolina my parents also went to like they're from North Carolina um and we went to like my parents went to UNC Chapel Hill I went to UNC Chapel Hill they got eliminated last Sunday much to my disappointment wah, wah, wah. but uh <laughs> but it was but uh, you know it's like I follow it only in so far as like Carolina plays basketball and you know, whatever. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I realize that like, no matter how far away I get from the South, like I find myself being, uh, increasingly protective of it. Sure. Even though it, even though like I'm, I'm certainly not ignorant to its many shortcomings yes. and you know, like, it was a couple of years ago, like the guy who was governor who got voted out and things like that. I remember being like deeply upset about that, mostly because North Carolina and Charlotte was like really yes. upheld as this like sort of like little oasis of prog of, of progressivism in, yeah. in, in the South. And they kind of just basically like aggressively were rolling that back, doing a lot of really horrible things that hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, my, my dad was from Fayetteville mm -hmm. where Fort Bragg is. And I, I didn't spend that much time there at an age that I had a real like self-awareness or cultural awareness. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, I've spent time in like a lot of those small towns in between Charlotte and Fayetteville and other things. And, and I, there weren't any that were exactly like this town sure. that were quite that desolate in a way. But, but at the same time, like there, there is something it, it, to me, it's like one of those things where like I start watching movies and I start looking at accents yeah. and or listen, sorry, listening to the accents. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, this is like a real cartoonish country accent. Uh -huh. And I'm like, but 
if you knew like my grandfather, you know, or something like that, you would be like, well, that's now that's the way a person from that time period who lived in that kind of area spoke. Yeah. That, and you know, and it's this, and watching that movie, like you watch Ben Johnson or you, you know, many of the other characters in the movie, like the guy who plays a sheriff, Mm -hmm. for example, where you're like, there's nothing about that that's inauthentic because that's like a guy who was from there, you know? Yeah. I looked up Sybil Shepard. Uh, I looked up all the cast actually mm-hmm. after just to see uh, where everybody was at at this time. Cause you know, the, I was, I, I was struck by like the movie being set in the early fifties and then coming out 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and seeing that Sybil Shepard is from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just, I, yeah, this was it. This was a tough movie to watch. Really? Yeah, for me it was. Oh, but wait. So, so okay. When you were at UNC Chapel Hill, did you um, did you study film? I did. What, yeah. So that was your major. Yeah, I was uh, communication studies major, okay. and it was when I actually when I started school, they had a thing called like radio, television, motion picture. Uh huh. And they changed that to be this sort of more, I don't know, I don't know if it was more inclusive or more generic sort mm-hmm. of description and so i had a major in uh, communication studies and a minor in african-american studies okay and uh and i I mean i'm i'm i know that i i mean the truth is that one of the reasons i picked this movie as much as anything was because uh i hadn't seen it in a long time Uh and i really wanted to rewatch it like because i thought because the other ones i had suggested uh bridge on the river Kwai is a movie that is like i think might be my dad's favorite movie and i've seen it many times and and i and i love it um, this is also shorter than that one. That was another reason. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I was I was eager to rewatch it because I hadn't seen it in many years, mm-hmm. and you know, and I and and honestly, like thinking about like sort of how it's like an elegiac for a different time and yeah. and things like that, and in particular, what I'm always fascinated by is like how you look at a movie like this to some degree with like a contemporary veneer, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. because like we think of a lot of, you know, I mean, Saturday night fever is one of my all time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember showing it to, to Julie, you know, and she was not as enamored as I was, yeah. but at the same time, like there were parts of it that I could understand what she was not connecting with. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, you know, the more sort of, for lack of a better way to describe it, culturally woke we become. Like uh-huh. you know, you start going back and you're like, oh, that, that's really kind of gross, or that was inappropriate, or yeah. horrible. And and you know, I think the I think there's like a very I think there's a measured reaction to give to the to the that kind of story or those kind of things that happen in mm-hmm. those movies. Um, and at the same time, like you know, I think this is a good example of a movie that never was sort of. Uh, unflinching in his depiction of this, you know, because it is a very sort of anti-nostalgic movie in general. Yeah. So, you know, um, so yeah, I was eager, I was eager to revisit it cause I just hadn't seen it forever. And I, I had never seen it. I have the, I had the Blu-ray forever and I was like, Oh, I really need to watch this. So. <laughs> I should open this. <laughs> yeah. When was the first time you saw this movie? I mean, I'm sure it was when I was in college. Okay. Um, and did, did you remember much of it when you rewatched it? Were you like, Oh yeah. Or were you like, Oh man, I totally forgot about this. Well, I, one of the things there were there were a number of things that I was really gratified to see in the movie that I had completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of Cloris Leachman, particularly in the yes. final scenes, to yes. me was something because I did remember like the journey of that relationship, and and it was sort of I've remembered it vaguely. Yeah. But um, sort of the way the end of the movie sort of resolves that relationship to me was something that I was kind of like 
weirdly gratified by yeah. <laughs> like now, yeah. like in a way that I don't think I would have had the presence of mind uh, to, to recognize back when I first saw it when I was in college. I mean, I remember much of it, you know, I mean, like, um, I mean, really, like, I think my memories were sort of of it being black and white at a time when black and white was not used yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how much I feel like that does drive sort of the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, very, um, uh, yeah, it drives the tone of the movie. And then also just, like, how I feel like, um, for me, what really changed between when I saw it when I was in college and, and now is how much more I identify with the adults than I do with the teenagers. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. sure. It's, you know... Uh, this is this this is frustrating because this movie is was frustrating for me. So I grew up. Um, I don't want to paint like a you know an inaccurate picture, but I grew up in a suburb of Atlanta. I basically mm-hmm. grew up in the Orange County of Atlanta. But we, I have first cousins, family, very close family that did not. Mm-hmm. You know, they are like very southern. Sure. And um, you know, it. What's interesting to me is like I feel like it's a southern thing to. Everybody wants to have a conversation, but no one will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's just one of the things that's so frustrating about watching this movie and watching all the people that are, you know, this, it's just this town full of really depressed people <laughs> is that nobody will talk to each other. Like nobody will have, you know, nobody will be honest with each other. Yeah. And it's it's almost like. And, and it still goes this way. Like it's still, and it, and it doesn't even have to be in the deep, deep South. It, it's just, I feel like, I feel like it's this culture that is just infuriating mm-hmm. because you see, you see the effects that it has on the adults, on the kids, on everybody. And it's not working for anybody, yeah. but yet we're here, you know, this is set in 1951 and it was made in 19 or came out in 1971. And here we are in 2018 and still dealing with this sort of sure, thing culturally, sure. you know? And I think also, you know, one of the the thing that I sort of took away from this, you know, maybe even more so than certainly the first time I saw it is, you know, how eager the kids are to grow up and how reluctant the, the adults are to let go of their youth. Yeah. And, you know, and which, which to me, I think doesn't necessarily like contradict that observation mm-hmm. about like sort of the, the way that people won't have a conversation, but you know, when you have a character like Ellen Burson's character Mm -hmm. who is so amazing, first of all, just amazingly written. I mean, she's so incredible, but also like what she's saying is she is having a conversation and, and what's happening is like the people aren't hearing her Yes, mostly because they're not capable of it because they're too young and they're blinded by hormones or their own ambitions or they're just their immaturity. And, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I sort of love about, it's one of the things I still love about the South is that there, there is a remarkable poetry to sort of, at least for me, like the minimalism of like some Mm -hmm. conversations, which I, I don't, I don't mean to romanticize it too much, but like, I just know, like, you know, my grandfather, he like had a giant, like he had a farm mm-hmm. and you know, my, when, after he passed away and I, I think 2001, you know, we went back there and, and, um, we're walking around in the house that they're in probably was not, was smaller than this. It was smaller than this apartment. Mm-hmm. And he had, my dad had three siblings and you know, they all lived in this house and my, and they're like, Oh, this is everything. And 
And but the way that my grandfather, when he was alive, would talk about things was very I mean, you know, he was never a caregiver. He was a provider. Sure. You know, and that I'm sure was might may have been frustrating to my grandmother. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it wasn't that he was completely emotionally inaccessible. It was just that you would have to sort of be able to translate his sort of, you know, communication about what he did or what was yeah. going on into sort of his way of expressing things. Yeah. And I think that's actually another thing that the movie does really well is that you have Ben Johnson, you know, as Sam the Lion and, and the way that he, you know, I mean, like he's trying, he's communicating his own lessons to them. And, you know, I mean, like they just hear it in this like kind of like, oh, there was a woman that you went out here and you swam in this and like she made you, you know, and he's like, and there's a part of that that's really, of course, beautiful. And then there's also part of that. It's like, well, why did this not, why did you not do that? Right. You know, why did you not follow through on that? Or why did that not happen? And, you know, and, and really what it is, is it, it dooms like this younger generation to repeating the mistakes that their, that their predecessors yes. made. Yeah. It's funny because my, my mom, um, is, uh, like my mom's not a warm and fuzzy mom. Now she's, um, she and I get along great uh, now. And, and I love spending time with her and my dad. Um, but she's not a warm and fuzzy and she's not a talker. She's, she's a talker. She's very social, but like my mother doesn't call me. Mm. She doesn't call. I live 3000 miles away. I haven't lived in Atlanta for 10 years and she doesn't call mm -hmm. and she will only text me if she needs to, like mm -hmm. if she has a question, but I've noticed the way that she communicates kind of like you were saying, you know, like she, she doesn't use her words, but she'll use her actions. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just like, it's a, it's a very, um, kind of tough guy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it is it is something that that strikes me about. And, you know, I guess my mom my mom was born in Ohio, but she grew up in in a small town in Georgia mm -hmm. um, and and then went what to the town Elberton. OK, Elberton. It's on the way to Athens. Okay. And um, my sister went to the University of Georgia. Yeah. And I lived in Marietta, actually, when I was younger. OK. So, yeah. yeah. It's not um, it's not close to Athens. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, but it but it's it. I believe and somebody's listening, maybe in there from Elberton and they're like, no, it's not. But I'm. I'm pretty sure it's east of Atlanta and or northeast of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it used to, I guess it would, uh, the only time it got put on the map because it's a town that's very much like, like this town in mm -hmm. this movie um, was because of granite. I guess. Okay. And um, and my grandmother had this huge, like, beautiful home that she turned into a bed and breakfast um, later in her life. And uh, and it, I guess it was her mother's home. Um, and uh, But, yeah, it is um, – nobody's in Elberton anymore. It's like <laughs> if you ask my mom, my mom's like, the town is dead. It's dead. And mm -hmm. they still own property there. You know, it's, they still own, um, a, they have an, own a store in the down, in the downtown, but there's like, there's nobody mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And so they just basically own all of this stuff. Sure. And it's just like, well, okay, we own this now. Like it's, it's, it's really crazy. And, uh, and it's, and it's so, um, 
it's just really discouraging too because sometimes you wonder like like you wonder if these people meaning the people the characters in the movie um, or people who are sort of in a similar situation ever feel like they can actually get out mm-hmm. you know like I feel like JC uh, Sybil Shepherd's character in the beginning like doesn't want to go anywhere um, but then at the end of the day her mother is like you are going to Dallas and <laughs> she goes you know yeah. what I mean but like it's almost like she's doing everything in her power to get stuck in this town and it's 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 crazy to me. Sure. Well, JC is such an interesting character to me. I mean, first of all, Sybil Shepherd is the most beautiful. Yes. I mean, she is like stunning. Yes. Like where I'm just like, she doesn't look real every time I, I'm just like so distracted. But the thing that's really remarkable about that character, and maybe this speaks to what you're talking about is that she seems disgusted by everything she's able to achieve without any effort. Like she wants to, ensnare these young men and her mom has sort of like created that sort of transactional nature of her of her sexuality irrespective of actual sex it's Mm -hmm. just her sexuality but she is so resentful of the fact that she of their response to that it's like she wants them to be attracted but when they are she's disgusted and i think that's like this really interesting sort of dynamic that follows her through the movie because you're like I mean, you just keep watching like, oh, okay, well, she she wants, she wants uh, you know, Jeff Bridges' character. And then, you know, it's like as soon as he sort of, they do what they are, have been sort of building towards, she's just like, no, I don't like this. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Sonny and, you know, and I, to me, I think what it comes down to in terms of like their awareness of whether or not they can leave is like, I or, or whether they want to leave is, I think there is, there are people who sort of, they sew themselves into sort of the rhythm of like, this is what my parents did, or this is what my grandparents did. And they just see that as like what they should do. And people, be it as a result of their circumstances or their education or, or their, you know, financial mobility or whatever it is, like they just train themselves not to think outside of what that track is. Yeah. And, you know, certainly I would say like the movie is set like, I think in 1951, Mm -hmm. it's like there was, you know, infinitely less, uh, you know, mobility anyway. And in a town like that, they're like, like, it's interesting that, you know, they don't, the movie does not rope. It romanticizes the idea of there being a movie house in there, but it doesn't romanticize it in the sense of like they would watch movies and be like, oh, there's these exotic places elsewhere. Like it's just like we'll go to the movies and we'll see like another Western, a John Ford movie or Red River or, you know, whatever it was. Red River was like I think the last movie that they watched. And, you know, the funny thing is, of course, a lot of those movies were very sort of like about the demise of the old mm-hmm. West, you know? Um, I mean, romanticized them, but it was also about like sort of the, all these other kinds of things. And, um, and so I kind of like just lost my train no, of thought, but, okay. but, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me because I think about that too. I mean, you know, uh, I think there are a lot of people who, th- this movie is sort of a, a, a good embodiment of a lot of people who, they just don't even think about it like, oh, I'm going to leave. I mean, they think about like in terms of I'm going to make money, I'm going to do better. But there, it, it's not – I think there was not sort of the latitude to be as aspirational as we are now. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. it's sort of that – when that whole thing came, I mean, this was like, as I remember being in sort of like 
the, the 90s of like sort of the quarter life crisis mm-hmm. and it's like oh i can do anything and so i don't know what to do and i can't you know i don't want to do anything but it's like i you know my dad certainly he's late 60s and you know he has always been a person who was like you have to have a job and provide for your family. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and he has become much more sensitive and much more articulate of his feelings the older he's gotten. Mm-hmm. But I have always seen him as a person who, I mean, he's done real estate development. And one of the reasons that my family moved around so much when I was younger, because we moved from North Carolina to Virginia to Georgia to Texas to California and then back wow. to North Carolina by the time I was in eighth grade, oh it was God. because he was like switching jobs or, you know, in some mm-hmm. cases being promoted in the same sure. job, but, but it was like, you know, for me, it was totally starting over each time, but he would take these jobs that could give him, you know, give us the most comfortable life yeah. that, that he could provide. Yeah. And I think that like, to some extent, our parents' generation was like sort of the last one that felt quite as desperately about that on a on a on a broader yes in a, in a broader way and i think that has changed now to where you know i mean we think so existentially about how satisfied or challenged we are by our jobs and which is not to say that it, we're ungrateful but it, i think it's just like we have much more of a luxurious opportunity to go like oh i should be in a job that i really love right as opposed to like this job's fine i get paid well i can do whatever i want to when i'm out of that job well but i wonder too if it's because like you know even if you do so i think something that that we've learned or at least something i feel like my generation has learned because i graduated college when the economic collapse happened so like summer like I graduated college and then the economy bottomed and they were like, no jobs uh, for anyone. (laughs) And um, so I think that like, I mean, I, I feel certainly like my generation um, of, so again, these are all broad strokes. Like I don't want to say that everyone everywhere grows up with this mindset because, because what I'm talking about, I suppose is the broad strokes American dream. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, because I am certainly speaking from a white point of view and a certain kind of upbringing. Like absolutely. But the broad strokes American dream of like you go to school and maybe you go to college, but you get a good job and you're able to buy a house and, um, and you're able to take a vacation with your family once a year and to start a family to start a family exactly and uh and i think feel like my generation is one of is maybe the first that's like that is not even on the table because Mm. we've seen the housing collapse and we saw the economy crash and we saw and so it's like it's really interesting this notion of no you just get a job and even if you're not super happy with that job like you stay in it because it's stability because i feel like my generation is like fuck stability what stability are you talking about (laughs) yeah i remember when i was moving to los angeles I was finishing up college in Atlanta and, uh, and, and people would say, Oh, are you so nervous about, about moving to LA and to work in the entertainment industry? That's just so there's no stability. And I was like, really, how's your job there? You know, because it is just like, fuck it. I might as well go. And so it's just, it's this really, and, and I say all of that to say that 
when you look back at this movie, you know, this American dream is, what does this even American dream even look like is what I wonder. Because I don't even think the characters in this movie know. Yeah. JC's family knows because they have money and it's a great conversation that her mother has where she says, I, I scared him into being successful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, and she said, and then even JC saying to her mother, like, you know, well, you 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 have money and you're not happy. Yeah. You have, you're successful and you're not happy. Um, um, it's just this really like, man, it's, it, times have changed so much, um, in so many ways for a handful of people. And yet they have not changed in so many ways sure. for a handful of people. Yeah. And I think that, I think that, you know, also particularly given the sort of small town setting of this, yeah. you know, I think what it comes down to in a way is sort of the way her mom there is such an expectation of dissatisfaction or unhappiness that it becomes completely subconscious. Yes. And so therefore it's not even like processed in a way that is, you know, certainly, certainly not, certainly not healthy, but like, you know, the fact that she becomes increasing, like Ellen Burson's character mm -hmm. becomes increasingly bold. Like they go to this town dance and she just kisses Clue Gulliger and you're like, that is not a thing she probably should do, yes. you know? Um, but at the same time, like, this is the only way that she, her life is interesting. And, you know, and there, and there doesn't seem to be any repercussions to that, which is probably because there may or may not be, you know? Um, but it's a, it's a really, I don't know. I just think really all the sort of relationship dynamics are so fascinating because it's like, once you watch like the first half of the movie and you see the way, um, Dwayne and, and JC are, yes. and then, you really learn about like JC and the way that she not, and I say this not even to vilify her, but you just see the way that she is. And you're like, I don't know why really anybody should be with her. And then you see her like start to sort of manipulate Sonny and, or, or try to attract him. And what she's doing is like, but she doesn't really want that. Right. Like the thing is to begin with, she doesn't even really want that. But then you're like, he definitely is not going to get any part of this anything out of this is going to be satisfying for him emotionally, probably not physically, you know, it's just sort of like, Oh, this is another for her. It, and it's not even like a conquest. It's just like, this is what I can do. Yeah. And well, it's her currency. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't like, we never hear about her prospects, any of their prospects. We know that we hear that Dwayne is not smart. He gets referred yeah. to as dumb often. Yeah. Um, and we see, uh, we see Sonny as, as sort of an athlete, like, or at least I, I tie him more to yeah. athletics than any of the other people. Um, and then JC is just has her currency is her beauty mm -hmm. and her currency is her family's status. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, yeah, so I guess, yeah, that is what she's supposed to do. The scene where they go to the, where she goes to the pool yeah. was like the most bizarre. That scene was so weird to me. Rufus, stop. why, why, Why do you say that? Because it just was like, what is happening in this scene? <laughs> where, like I, I and, and so I gather they're at a country club or where, where were they? Well, they were at a, they were at the house of like a rich kid who was, he he didn't live in their town, but he lived in another town that was nearby, and he was like a rich kid who had a pool. Okay. And so, but what I think is actually really remarkable about that scene is that it it brings her into a situation that like truly confronts her with yes. like how willing are you to put your sexuality on display? Yes. Or what she perceives to be just like oh this is my body and and I think there is um, like kind of a 
I mean, like, I think that's a catalyst, you know, like a moment for her because like up to that point, like, even though she was clearly like lying to Dwayne, I mean, she lies to him to go to the, to the party, you know, there's an interesting thing that she, after that becomes much more impatient with him Mm -hmm. and is sort of dissatisfied. And I mean, you can attribute that, I think in part to the fact that she recognizes that the guy who like owns the house, like is like wealthy and because her mom has just said like you are a sex bomb go in there and blow yourself up and get him to marry you right but i also think that it's like she sort of sees you know the way that like quite frankly like a marginally more mature young man Mm -hmm. like looks at her and she's like okay well there is more of a dance here than like a guy who you know wants to fondle me in the back of like his shitty pickup truck right you know and i think that she wants that but also like she mistakes that for like that's that's what a real relationship is Mm -hmm. and so she gets impatient and then she's like all right well i'll move on to Sonny, who now he's you know marginally successful as the now owner of this like pool hall or whatever it is and yet once that happens like she's no more satisfied or happy in physically emotionally or any other way yeah it's um as far as uh as far as like well first of all before we move off of that pool scene everybody in that scene is such a dick they're so mean they're just awful (laughs) and like i i don't even know his name but i call him young paul ryan because he looks like paul ryan (laughs) like i i don't know how else to describe that guy you know which guy i'm talking about right well i don't you're not talking about randy quaid no okay okay (laughs) <laughs> no, are you talking about like the main the guy yeah, who okay yeah, okay the yeah, guy yeah yeah who, like, yeah who comes yeah. on to her and says you know call me when you're not a virgin oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um so so it's like everybody there is such a jerk like and and i just kind of there's something there's part of me even though jc gets more ridiculous throughout the movie because she does or her choices make no sense like i could i was sympathetic to her in the beginning of the movie because i did believe that she was in like teenage love with that with jeff bridges and and you know and you're like oh they they love each other and and they're knuckleheads and they're they're awkward and fumbling around and that's endearing and I believed JC when she has that conversation with her mother saying like, well, I love him and I want to marry him mm-hmm. and I want to do all this stuff. But then, yeah, once that awakening happenings happens, she just becomes very hard to understand. But then again, I mean, she's a teenage girl. So it's like it's it, teenagers are hard to understand yeah. no matter what. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I just that that pool scene was so jarring to me. I, I was so I mean, also I was like, wh- where I don't know. I don't know. I just never did anything like that when I was 18 or 19 with a, with 20 people all hanging out just naked at the pool. I was like, I never did that, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm a square. I don't know. Well, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, the thing is like, I had friends when I graduated from college that, I mean, we had, we had like parties and yeah. like, it would be like, okay, we all like, streaked down to the pool and like sure. jumped in and stuff like that. Um, and it was all, you know, I mean, certainly nothing on, on the level, <laughs> right. what happened, you know, but, um, you know, to me, that was, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Cause like that is a completely, it's, it's, it's completely detached from the rest of the movie insofar as that is a universe, which she is completely unfamiliar with yes. until she goes there. And it sounds very intriguing. And then she's sort of put in a position where it's like, well, are you going to 
it's you know sort of fight or flight where it's right. like are you going to just go like oh i can't do that or are you just going to do this and i think that like i mean it's funny because i don't think that i read it quite as like cruelly as oh, maybe really? you did like i mean i don't I, I you know i don't remember every line of dialogue but but it's like i think there is an extent to which it's like you have your hazing moment as you are willing what you were willing to do to be part of this group and she went through it and then after that it's over and I mean, I was never in a fraternity or anything like that. And I am certain that that's a different sort of conversation to right. have. But, but to me, I sort of looked at it that way. It's like, you know, all right, your friends clown you before you did that one thing or whatever, because they're like, oh, what are you like a, a baby? You yeah. know, like, are you going to be like a, an adult or, you know, like, um, but I, I, I mean, I never saw it as like anything that was like deliberately hurtful as much as it was like, you know, I mean, they're kids just like goofing on each other. Interesting. And so, you know, I mean, like I, I tend to, I think I tend to be at, like actively pretty forgiving of like most, most like teen transgressions. Sure, sure. Um, because you know, that's a thing that I, I feel like there is not enough of, which is sort of like general empathy for like quite frankly, the, the hormonal mm -hmm. behavior of teenagers, because I find like, you know, without getting into a political discussion is like so much of policy and like judgments of what kids can and can't and should and shouldn't do is driven by like sort of the, it is obviously drop, driven by the benefit of hindsight, but it is, but more so from the perspective of being an adult rather than going like, well, when I was a teenager and I like was like 16 and I discovered girls, I was like crazy, mm -hmm. which is not to say that it's like forgivable to make terrible decisions against other people's will. But like in terms of like going, well, teenagers, boys and girls are like, oh, this is a crazy new world that I've entered, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, I don't really know what my boundaries are. These other people don't know what their boundaries are. Like, like we can discover these things without them uh, without them being like deeply damaging yeah. if there is an environment for them to be explored in a healthy way sure. and i mean like the problem is that there's like it's sort of like the absence of supervision versus too much supervision and this is a world where like the only the only adult who really has an understanding of that again is like ellen burson's character right you know and and to some extent ben johnson too you know but it's like he has a different moral compass than she does and so it's like when they do like the mean stuff um to to the to the kid who's like slow uh -huh. you know it's like he's right to come down on them but he also recognizes like for example that like he doesn't even know that Sonny like sort of tried to stop them to some extent, you know, catering to peer pressure eventually. But like, he was not a person who was like aggressively a party to like, Oh, let's do a thing. That's like a laugh on mm -hmm. this kid, you know? And I think that like his ability to forgive and recognize that like these kids are stupid and they make bad, hurtful decisions. Like, and at the same time that doesn't make them bad, hurtful people mm -hmm. like is, is important. And I like, I, I kind of, you know, I mean, it's what I like about sort of the resolution of the relationship between Sonny and Dwayne is yeah. that they have like this fight, which is so idiotic. And like he's I mean, he like Dwayne like messes him up, you know, and cracking a, a bottle over right. his head. And at the same time, like I don't even think it's like a guy thing. I just think it's like it's like the fight that we had was stupid. Yeah, you know? sure, and, sure, sure. And rather than like trying to relitigated or and and certainly neither of them are intellectually or emotionally capable of having like a rational conversation about like we should not have had this conflict sure you know they just kind of go mm, you know like uh, whatever and and recognizing that their friendship 
quite frankly, is more likely to survive than either than a relationship between either of them and JC. Sure. That's yes, absolutely. Now I, speaking of, um, because I want to, before I want to bring up Clarice Leachman, cause I really want to talk about her. Yeah. Um, uh, the scene where Jeff Bridges and JC like finally try to have sex mm-hmm. and it's just not happening. Um, I was confused. Okay. I, I, I was confused because I was like, well, um, I just felt like he had been like pushing so much. Oh, but then again, I guess it could have just been blustering. I suppose I read this. I read Dwayne as somebody who was not inexperienced, but maybe I was wrong. Well, I mean, the thing is, do we know? Well, I don't think that it's like completely. I mean, I don't think that it's made clear in the movie. I mean, you know, she keeps sort of reminding him, like, why don't you go down to Mexico? And they make jokes about, like, you know, you guys get the clap or whatever. It's like, I don't know if they actually... I mean, that's the thing is, like, they're 17 and 18-year-old boys. It's like, do they have enough money to go down there and get into some trouble? I'm sure that they do. It's like, you know, they're, they're... But there are a lot of teenage boys who want to be much more advanced than they are and will and will project that of course um i mean in terms of his experience i don't know if he actually had had sex before i mean it's not stated in an explicit way i think in the movie um but i mean irrespective of that you know it's like you know it's it's a situation where i think it's like also like we've been building to this for however much time they've been together and like in the moment he's not able to perform right you know and in his sort of like perfect and i think maybe especially with the benefit of hindsight like perfectly jeff bridges ish way yes you know he's like he's like i I just don't know what happened i'm Uh, I'm sorry that's all he can say it's so funny and it's not you know and i think that i think that it's a you know knowing a character very well and giving a great performance of you know that it's not him like flailing and like trying to like overcompensate in the moment it's just like sort of being like kind of astonished at his body failing him yeah. in the moment and being like i don't know what's happening yeah. right now yeah yeah that's actually that's a really really good point that puts it into a little bit more perspective i suppose because i think like the scene with the with the kid who they take to the girl the yeah. woman and you know that that all made perfect sense to me mm-hmm. like obviously and you get yeah. what's going on in yeah. that situation um but I guess, yeah, I just, but, but that does make sense. Like actual shock of like, <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I mean, it's not like they, he ever would have had an opportunity, even if he went to the doctor to have, right. a, uh, you know, uh, to have a conversation about erectile dysfunction, of course. you know, I mean, that just wasn't a conversation that you ever had with a, I mean, like I would say almost, you know, to the generation of me being a teenager, like, I remember when I like hit puberty, my dad like gave me a book and he was like, here you go, uh-huh. read this. And I was like, what is all this information? <laughs> but it, we never had a conversation about that. And that was me and my dad, much less like a guy and his friend sure, or whatever. Sure. It's like, they're never going to have a conversation about any of that kind of stuff. And certainly that would be immeasurably embarrassing to yes. try to bring up even no matter how close a friend you were with somebody, you know, to be able to, feel comfortable to talk about that yeah so yeah so from one uh from one uh, sexual <laughs> escapade to another we need to talk about cloris leachman yeah. because okay the first thing is i feel like and i don't know if this is the point i really don't but um i felt like she was stunningly beautiful in this movie and maybe she was not supposed to be but i just thought she was so pretty and i don't think that was what the point was well i think that 
I mean, what's interesting is when you first see her, she seems like very matronly and dowdy and you get a sense that that's because that's the reinforcement that she's received from her, yes. from her husband who, you know, there's a, I, I read a little bit about the movie and, and even some stuff about Larry McMurtry's novel. And there is, if, if not the implication, then it was like explicitly stated that he was gay. That her husband was gay. Oh, now that's interesting. And, oh, and he does have those lines in the beginning of like, well, be a man. What kind of man are you? What kind of man are what kind of woman are you gonna get if yeah. you yeah, overcompensating? And, and you know, but I think that irregardless yeah, sure. regardless whether that's actually true or not, clearly she has not received any attention that makes her feel attractive Sex, or, or, or sexualized. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, it's funny because like you see Sonny sort of like looking at like Eileen Brennan, Genevieve in the in the diner. And he's just like as much as anything, because he just he's like a young teenage boy who like wants to have sex. And he's like, oh, that's a woman's body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that what is interesting about the relationship that develops between him and uh, between Timothy Bottoms and and Cloris Leachman yeah. is, you know, these are two people who without kind of well, she knows much more. Uh, astutely than he does like that they're both kind of lost I mean he's just kind of floating through the rest of his school year and I think that it does start as like this kind of you know like oh I can get laid totally um, yeah you know at, but then you know it's just funny to like watch like oh they have these things where they're like sitting on their on her bedroom floor and she's like feeding him or, or he's like eating Oreos like like a little kid which adds a whole different weird yeah. layer but what it does is it brings out her femininity like she starts feeling desired and and you know and you know to her detriment she starts to mistake like maybe sort of what he considers to be a sexual uh, primarily sexual relationship as something like deeper and more right. substantial which Quite frankly, he's just not capable. He's of. a child. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we can't forget that just because boys are, you know, boys are seen as men so much earlier. Like, we, you know, in in so many ways. Um, but but he's a he's a child. Yeah. He he doesn't. He's not capable of having. And and what she does is, I I think it's wrong. I I think it's presented in a way that is empathetic and you f and sympathetic really mm -hmm. i mean more yeah. so actually sympathetic you feel so sorry for her and also i i you know this is like a crass double standard but like i wrote in my thing provided he's 18 let's just say <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes like get it get it you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like good for you have that but at the same time putting the expectation or the pressure like she needs to know that he is a child well I, the thing is i think there is that realization yes. at the end of the movie which is what makes the entire relationship i think meaningful mm -hmm. and like emotionally meaningful thematically meaningful um you know she has spent because i think what happens is that you know she talks about like how she got married and and why she married right. you know the, yeah. the coach and you get a sense that like she was impetuous and maybe a little rebellious. And then she settled very quickly into like sort of being a grown up. And I think that being with Sonny reminded her of what it was like to be young in the same way that like um, Sam the Lion felt when he was with Ellen Burstyn. Yep. And, you know, and the thing is that she did not have sort of the perspective or wisdom to be able to recognize that when it was happening. And so when it sort of implodes, 
as it inevitably was going to, and he was completely cowardly because, of course, he is because he's an 18-year-old boy. Sure. And he doesn't know how to not, you know, he doesn't know how to resolve a relationship in a mature way, particularly with a, with a woman who is older and more experienced just in the world, not, like, sexually even. I think that, like, it ends up, you know, bringing her to a position where, like she's right to call him out on like every single thing that she says to him. And at the same time, like she looks at him and he's suffering and she goes, and she basically like acknowledges. She's like, I understand why you can't look past the end of this tragic thing that has immediately happened in your life to see sort of a more well-rounded perspective on our relationship, the world, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, uh, I, well, I looked up and when it came to Cloris Leachman and also I do, I, I like, you know, I feel like obviously she's presented as very matronly in the beginning, but as she literally lets her hair down or, yeah. and also did you notice, I, at least I noticed, I feel like the way that JC and Cloris Leachman are lit, they're so bright. Like they're almost blown out. Mm -hmm. They're just glowing. Whereas a lot of the men are in shadow yeah. for most of the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, so, so, you know, she has that, she, she's literally glowing because <laughs> she's so bright. Um, yeah. but, but, um, I, I looked up when young Frankenstein was, mm -hmm. it was three years later. <laughs> like that to me just was like, what? Cause I, I, just to give myself a little bit of a benchmark because in that film, she is supposed to be this, you know, in young Frankenstein, she's this old crone, obviously. Yeah, and yeah. She's in very harsh makeup and her hair is so tight back and she looks old. And to me in this movie, I mean, once she lets her hair down and once we get to spend some more time with her, I just thought she was, I thought she was gorgeous. I mean, granted, Sybil Shepard is this like young sex pot and Ellen Burstyn is this glamorous woman who, uh, you know, I think cashed in her chips too soon, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's a different kind of beautiful, but I just, I found her to be so beautiful. Well, I definitely, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think, I mean, you know, I actually looked up, I was like, how old was she? And I think she was like 44 yeah. when the movie was made or, you know, they're right around that age. And I did feel like, cause I was, cause, cause I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, you know, we, I've seen her in so many movies since then or whatever. And, and I do think like, we, I think the movie very skillfully dials back sort of like her, her age so that, so that it, it becomes so much less that this, like, there's like a dramatic yes. uh, difference that like they come together and then it sort of happens, they go away again. I mean, the truth is that I wouldn't even necessarily call, um, like JC, like a, like a, like a sex pot as much as I would like, I mean, she's just like the, the the perfect caricature of like the fuckable head cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, which is not quite the same thing. I mean, like in, in that she's not like, like she's not Betty page or something who's mm -hmm. like, she's not actively trying to sort of project sex as much as she, she just has this like sort of coquettish, like, immaculate porcelain like mm -hmm. perfection which is exactly what every guy would be totally susceptible to in a small town mm -hmm. which which her mother recognizes which genevieve at the diner recognizes i mean you know every you know cloris leachman recognizes they're just like oh yeah i understand why every guy is after her because like i mean they point out like the the girl that he that Sonny's dating at the beginning is like yeah. they're like she's not that attractive or whatever yeah. and like certainly by comparison she is 
she is not in in the in the context of the movie. But I think there's a really interesting sort of dynamic where, you know, you have in JC like sort of like a again sort of a platonic ideal of what you would think that the prettiest girl next door ever could possibly be, mm-hmm. and then you have like these other women who have various degrees of sort of not not even so much experience but sort of like self-awareness and how they develop that throughout the movie in different ways i mean like you know that that we do eventually like understand that ellen burston is the woman that who was who was with ben johnson you know when they were younger right. and you're like she's like i did really love him and i don't even remember if there's like a question of like why it didn't yeah. work out but like you sort of understand even without it being said or that there doesn't have to be like a reason. It's just like, this was like a sort of wild thing that probably was not a, it's, you know, it's just like a relationship that no one ever could think would work. Like in the, you know, just sort of like, I mean, I think meaning the people who were in it, they're just like, we did this until we couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And not like in a way that was like, Oh, it dissolved, devolved into fighting. It's just like, I think that's it. Yeah. Like, you know, which is like a sad thing because you think of, um, because we think of, I think now we sort of romantically think of like explosively romantic relationships as like a thing to aspire to. Right. You know, when in fact, like, I think they just think of it as like, well, eventually you have to settle down and you mm-hmm. have to be this way. And I think that's, that's like the programming that the people in these small towns, particularly at that time, probably were thinking. I mean, you know, it's sort of like, well, I hope that I really like the person that I'm marrying and, you know, much, much more so than like, like I'm going to fall in love and it's going to be this rhapsodic experience for the rest of my life every day. So we're to understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but when JC finally loses her virginity, it's to that old man or that man in the bar, right? Like, is that the first time for her? Because I was under the impression that that was the first time, not counting what happened with Jeff Bridges because nothing happened. Well, I thought they, well, the second time they went back and I think they did. Oh, they did. Yeah. Well, they go. She. They went back to the to the hotel, the motel, and did it a second time. That's when like they walk out, and she's like, "Stop beaming," you know, like. How did I miss that? Yeah, (laughs) must have missed it. Okay, but um, so that and as I recall, that is before. Yes. Like the yeah for sure yeah. So when she makes the decision to uh to sleep with that man, what do you? I mean, what was your reaction? Because I had reactions to that. I mean, you know. I think that once her sort of like physical sexuality was sort of awakened, like I think that she, you know, I don't think that she planned it. And I I think that she certainly lacked the maturity to understand it. I mean, I think there's a reason that when she comes home, she like immediately starts crying. But I think that speaks exactly to what I was saying before, where it's like she wants to be attractive because she's taught that that's the currency that she has to offer the world. And, but you know, and the thing is, like, to, you know, Dwayne or Sonny, what that means is, like, fumbling in the backseat of a car mm-hmm. or at, at, at worst, quote, worst, um, you know, going to a motel for, you know, sort of awkward teenage sex. Yeah. But when you have a guy who clearly is sort of like the swinging dick of the town yeah. who, you know, who who just, like, he's like, no, I'll, I'll do it. Like, you yeah. know, and it's like don't put it out there because I'll take it. And, and, and the thing is, I mean, I don't think that it's like, a, I mean, it's certainly not a coercion or whatever, but it's just like, she's like, Oh, that's what this 
is or that's what this like because it was funny because that was actually a thing i did not remember well like mm. and i was like i was like oh is this where she like really discovers that she like enjoy sex or but it's like the movie doesn't even entertain no. the, the idea that like because it all because sex is largely like transactional throughout the movie yeah. but it's also like she's like oh okay well this is what happens like with a man who will just take it if i offer it to right. him, as opposed to like can i please can i please can mm -hmm, i please you mm -hmm. know and then it becomes this thing where she's like leveraging it over them yes you know whereas he just takes it and then he's like yeah you just need to get out of my car bye. you know and yeah. then she's she doesn't know how to even process that because you know he's had sex probably many times without loving people and i think that's that that's sort of the discovery that quite frankly a lot of teenagers make is that mm -hmm. like they're like oh well when i have sex it's going to be with somebody that i love and it's going to be this beautiful experience and then clearly like her first experience with Dwayne is a disillusioning moment yeah. in that it's like maddening because she wants to be able to sort of like check that box off but then um even when she has it she's like eh, well that was whatever yeah and it's like and then she realizes that like not only will she not necessarily like enjoy sex with a person that she loves like she it's sex is just a thing and when it happens with Clue Gulliger's character, she's just like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, not like I need to be more careful, but it's just like, oh, this really could just be totally meaningless. Right. In, in a, in a, in, in a emotionally pejorative way that, that is, that is like, uh, she doesn't get anything out of it yeah. other than to have had a momentary sense of like oh I've offered myself to somebody right. or whatever yeah, yeah 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 I don't know how to best better describe it no but. yeah that's fair um, okay so with regards to last picture show is there anything else that you want to touch on um, you know again I, I like to me I thought what was first of all I think it has one of the most I like I the only notes that I made I put on my <laughs> phone um, one was that it has the most accurate depiction of a hangover I've ever seen oh when wow. those guys come back from Mexico like it's not even just that they're hung over. It's like, like Dwayne is sweating <laughs> yes, in the passenger yes. seat and they're both so miserable. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh man, have I been there? Yep. Like, I mean like where I was like, wow. Um, you know, Cloris Leachman, even before the moment where she gets to sort of like lose her temper and yeah. say everything that she's been thinking, like that whole story is to me just like completely heartbreaking. It is. I mean, it, because you feel she is a person who, has brought into her life like another relationship that's not going to satisfy her. And that's just sort of devastating, you know, and she doesn't deserve that. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, but again, what I took away most from the movie is how the adults all reflect on their youth in a way that is very deeply nostalgic, but, but also with a degree of honesty, particularly Ellen Burstyn's character, where she understands very well, yeah. like, th this is the way things work. This is the way the world works, yeah. you know, and, and like some of those things. And she's sort of made peace with it. I mean, like it sucks, but she's made peace with it. You know, Ben Johnson, I think similarly, like he has an awareness of it. But like, I mean, when you watch them go out to that sort of like lake and everything and he's telling that story, it is kind of it's very it's very beautiful and sad and you feel bad for him but also like the way that his presence in the town sort of holds it together yes um and how that it exposes the cracks in the in the town when he after he passes away right you know i think there is um 
again, what I what I think I really like about the movie is how uh, it it was. You know, it's like by comparison, I think it's two years later when like American Graffiti came out, mm-hmm. which of course was another movie about the fifties. Um, and I think that is a much more kind and nostalgic movie when it comes to like sort of that time. I mean, like it's about restlessness and coming of age and all those things that I think are sort of timeless, but I mean that, that movie loves, you know, uh, loves looking at the past. Whereas when you watch this movie, you're like, things were not great in this town for these people. And while there is a, a wisp, like a a sort of bittersweetness to like the whole thing. and, And there's that, just that sweet edge to it. Like it ultimately, this is not a, a healthy thing to, to, for your, to be trapped in, you know? And, but the truth is that like, for most people, it's like pretty inescapable. The fact that like Dwayne sort of gets out through kind of, you know, a a bad, not a bad circumstance, but like by going to war to me, like, is just sort of like, if that's what you feel like is the only way for you to get out of, out of a town or to liberate yourself from this environment, that's probably not, especially healthy. And there are so many there that narrative still exists. The idea, you know, joining the military and so many young men and women are, are looking to, you know, improve their lives or, or, um, you know, um, achieve opportunity and are still joining the military. It's kind of, it is kind of amazing. And it's funny you bring up American graffiti because, uh, once again, I'm either going to tell you to stay tuned or go listen because I am recording American Graffiti with Joseph Scrimshaw tomorrow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> I kind of and it's so funny because I've noticed that over the last handful of weeks, things have been going in waves. Like um, I had a wave of, of war movies, like mm-hmm. specific war movies all in a row. Everyone was picking war movies. And now you pick this one and Joseph picked that one. And it's like it's just funny to me. Yeah. It's amusing. Yeah. Um, all right, so everybody gets to pick a movie not on the list. Okay. That they would add to the list. That they would add. Okay. Yes. You know, I was thinking about this because I was like trying to figure out like, is there a drama that I would put on like the AFI list or whatever? And what I realized is that, you know, it's hard because I, and I actually recently I was like looking on Facebook and I realized that I had made like a list of favorite movies from oh. like every year. It was one of those things from a year or two ago where they're like, make your favorite movie from every year that you were, mm, that you've been mm-hmm. alive. And, uh, and a lot of those movies are things that like would be everybody. I mean, like Jaws was like, you know, whatever. Um, and you know, but those are not necessarily movies that I think like deserve to enter like a grand and Jaws not being one, you know, but you know what I mean? Um, but I started thinking about it and I was like looking at like the Westerns on the list. Uh, and there are some really wonderful movies in there, but one that I think like is, even though it is like canonized in many other ways is, um, once upon a time in the West. Okay. Um, because it, it, to me, it is like sort of, it certainly within the Western, you know, I think it's Sergio Leone's like greatest statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just like the most badass, just on a basic level. It's like the most badass movie of all time. Uh, when it comes to like, you have Jason Robards and you have, uh, Charles Bronson, you know, and then you have Claudia Cardinal who is like, stunningly beautiful where you're just like, how do these, it was like, these people just didn't exist. Like they don't seem like they exist in real, real life. Um, but it's like this amazing thing. And it was made after he did, um, the dollars trilogy Mm -hmm. and everything else. And it's just this like astonishing, astonishing movie that, you know, I've had the opportunity like once or twice to see it on the big screen. Mm. And it's just like, it, it really communicates like the power of, of images and, and the power of cinema in a way that like 
few other movies do. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I mean, like, because there are movies like 2001, there, and I think The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly might be on on the a- actual AFI list. Mm-hmm. But to me, the, I think this is a better, I think it's a better movie than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly in that it has greater, its themes are more interesting mm-hmm. to me. Like, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is a, a magnificent Western, but it's a, but it is just a Western that's like about sort of what it's about yeah. in a way. Um, whereas once upon a time in the West, like to me, it has all these other sort of elements that it pulls into it just with, you have this character, the Claudia Carnal, she's coming to, for an arranged marriage. She gets to the house where her future husband is and they've all been killed by, you know, Henry Fonda, who is, you know, he was like known for being such like a, like a, a wholesome, upstanding, like right. admirable actor in all of the roles that he performed. And then they cast him against type playing a villain. And, you know, and there's just all these things that like, it's, it's juxtaposing like film history to manipulate that it's got, you know, sort of all these visual components that, you know, the way it draws out. I mean, like the opening of that movie is like, you could just watch it. Quite frankly, if you just put like the opening scene with Charles Bronson and these guys waiting for him at the train station, that would be worth being an AFI just by itself. Um, and and as the lights are going out, the sun is going down. Yeah. Now it's getting very dark in here. Yeah. Um, but Todd, thank you so much for doing this. This was great. Oh no, it's my pleasure. It was. I mean, like I said, I was so excited to to revisit a movie that I hadn't seen in a long time that I really liked, but also. Um, as always, getting the opportunity to talk movies and stuff with you is yeah. so exciting. Oh, well, I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. that's going to do it for me today if you liked that episode uh, the mini that is coming on Patreon for $5 monthly subscribers and higher is uh, is going to delve a little bit further into westerns if you know anything about me you know that westerns are uh, a tough spot in my movie appreciation and trivia uh, collection and so uh, so Todd and I are going to dig a little deeper into that and um, so if you enjoyed Todd's sensibilities and his pick for the movie that needs to be added to the list and I think you are going to like that so head on over to patreon.com slash Clark Wolf where you can find more info um, thanks again for listening thank you guys so much for being here I truly appreciate it and appreciate your support and I will see you on Thursday bye bye <laughs>